I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across MLS and Europe. In our last episode, we started looking into the U.S. men's interim head coach, Anthony Hudson. We talked about his time as head coach of the New Zealand men's national team. After he left New Zealand, Hudson headed to MLS and became head coach of the Colorado Rapids, and that's what we're going to discuss today. To help me do that, I've invited Mark Asher Goodman to the show. Mark is a writer for Pittsburgh Soccer Now. He also co-hosts a podcast on the Colorado Rapids called Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. He has written in the past for the Washington Post, Denver Post, The Athletic, and American Soccer Analysis. Please enjoy my conversation with Mark Asher Goodman. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's great to have uh, to be on the on the show, on the podcast, on the video. I'm I'm really glad to be joining with you today. Uh, although I'm not sure that the topic is gonna engender in me some of the warmest and fuzziest memories of of my entire <laughs> soccering writing existence. All right, all right. Well, we'll get into that before we start talking about Anthony Hudson specifically. So he was the coach of the Colorado Rapids in 2018 and part of the 2019 season. Can you just talk about how you were covering the team you know, during that time, what your sure. uh, involvement was? So I started covering the Rapids in twenty, the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. So I've covered them through mostly down years and a few up years. The Colorado Rapids as a soccer team won the MLS Cup in 2010. They have never won U.S. Open Cup. They've never been particularly successful at uh, CONCACAF Champions League. They're an MLS original uh, going back to 96, which affords them certain advantages of being OG and having a lot of respect and history as a club. I know 1996 for most of us old middle-aged men is recent history, but you know, in, in soccering terms, it's, it's ancient history. They made it to the Western Conference Finals in 2016 and had a really excellent year in 2021, winning the Western Conference and then going out in their first playoff match. So they're a team that's a few peaks and mostly valleys. Um, The 2014, 2015, and 2017 Colorado Rapids were really, really bad. Um, So I've covered the team as a writer primarily and then a podcaster, um, I, I was the assistant editor of Burgundy Wave, which is SB Nation's website. And then I moved over to a couple other outlets, one that no longer exists called Around MLS. And then I was for about a year, the Denver Post columnist on the Colorado Rapids. And around that time, I also started with my buddy, Matt Pollard, a podcast, which is the longest-running Colorado Rapids podcast in, existry, in existence, um, which is called Holding the High Line. And so we've been covering the Colorado Rapids for a long time. When I make it to the end of the season, it'll be my it'll be 10 years of color, covering the Colorado Rapids. So I don't ever purport to be the best writer or podcaster. I just purport to be the longest still existing podcaster and writer on the Colorado Rapids. Um, and so into all that came Anthony Hudson into our lives. Yeah. Tell me a little bit. So thank you for the kind of that overview and summary of, of the team's history. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, late 2017, I believe is when Anthony Hudson was actually hired. What was the state of the team then? And, you know, why were you looking for you know, a new coach at the time? 
Yeah, so uh, 2016, because the team made it to the conference finals, as I mentioned, and then got beat by Seattle Sounders at home, they it gave an, a, a contract extension to the manager of the time, Pablo Mastroeni, who is kind of an MLS legend, is U.S. men's national team player. Um, Mastroeni, a tough-in-the-tackle defensive midfielder, and his philosophy of soccer was let's muck things up and make it miserable for the opponent. So this was a team that was really well known in 2016. They had the, um, I think they still hold the MLS record for fewest goals conceded at home. I think they conceded Hmm. seven goals at home that entire year. They made it impossible to win at altitude. They just, the philosophy of the team was make it impossible to play through, make the game exceedingly dull and boring nick a goal after the 75th minute when altitude has destroyed the opponent's lungs and grind out one nothing wins all season and that worked really well in 2016 and then in 2017 it didn't work at all the team couldn't score any goals the defense was okay and by mid-season you know they were way way down and the coach seemed incapable of change so they fired him um and they brought on an interim from the the staff and um you know what they were really, and at the end of the season, the general manager, whose name is Pork Smith, was uh, along with the president of the team, wrote a piece that they posted in the Denver. They posted in the Denver Post, um, <laughs> which was called the Rapids Way, and it basically said, you know, the old way of doing things is not the way we want to do it anymore. We want to be a more open creative, fun, attacking-minded team, and we're going to bring in a manager and players who will play to that strength. And that's how they got Anthony Hudson. There were a number of managers rumored uh, over that time, but really, I think Hudson was probably the most likely candidate from the beginning. Um, He did feel a little bit like a strange choice, because his pedigree and his resume didn't indicate that he was ready for a big club step. When he was hired by the Colorado Rapids, his previous experience had been being the manager of New Zealand, being the manager of Bahrain on the national team circuit, and having a pretty uh, unsuccessful stint with Newport County in, I think, League One. And that was it. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a deep history. He'd worked with the U.S. youth national team also a little bit, but... You know, the last thing I'll say as he came in was, so he, he he wanted to play a more open attacking style. And so that was one of the things that when he interviewed was made him really popular. He delivered New Zealand to the playoff in, you know, because uh, Oceania doesn't have a, they yeah, have half the a spot. Playoff, yeah. Right, right. They have yeah. half a spot. So they wind up playing, I think, the fifth place team in Conmebol. And he got them all the way to that game where they lost. And so that was, I think, a lot of people thought that was pretty good because I don't think they thought of New Zealand as a top-flight team. But in the run-up to you know his introduction with the Rapids, New Zealand fans were writing to us or calling us or, or Twittering with us and saying, like, yeah, you're not going to like him. He's not, he's not a fun manager. You're, you're, the, the results have always been inconsistent. There's never been a team identity. We're not big fans. And so that's what he came into. And I was there the day that he was announced. It was a huge media. There's huge media attention around him. It was. I, I've been around the Colorado Rapids for, like I said, nine years. This was the largest press conference except for the Tim Howard announcement in team history. So it was a, they, they were really looking forward to, to leaping into 
you know, MLS 3.0 with the right guy who would be there for a long time, who would build a winner. Okay, so you've given me a few hints already, you know, of what you thought of his overall performance. And um, maybe we'll talk about some of the kind of specific highs and lows during his tenure. But big picture, just give me a summary of, you know, how do you think it went? Uh, how do you think his performance was? How would you summarize it, you know, overall in the, in the time he spent there? He did okay until he didn't. I mean, I, I'm I'm a little bit sanguine and um, real politique with managers and soccer teams. I, I'm I'm very modest and moderate in my opinions. I'm not going to trash hardly anybody unless they are, you know, actually evil or like overwhelmingly incompetent. And to be fair, Anthony Hudson is not incompetent. He is a a competent manager. He understands how to scout players. He knows how to plug the right guys into a lineup overwhelmingly. And he does have tactical ideas. So one of the biggest faults of Pablo Mastroeni was everything looked like... he All he had was a hammer, so everything looked like a nail, right? He put the team in a 4-2-3-1, and he defended for his life. One of the biggest complaints we had as uh, pundits was... We would have a game where the Rapids were down two to one with 15 minutes to go and he'd take off a wing and put on a defensive midfielder. And we'd be like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> uh, another defender is not going to fix the situation. Hudson didn't do that. Right. He he overwhelmingly understood that they needed to create more flow and, and more kind of attacking options. And that was a really good thing about Anthony Hudson. Um, we definitely, he definitely understood how to create different looks. I think one of his early challenges was essentially that he was asked to create a more exciting attacking team uh, in 2018. And he may not have had the right pieces to do it. And he couldn't quite figure it out. The team in 2018 had a six, three and eight record at home, uh, two, four and 11 on the road. They could not get it done on the road. They couldn't get a whole lot of anything done. And there were there were a lot of questions about the pieces that he brought in. So one of the interesting things about Hudson was he did what a lot of coaches do, which is start by getting his guys. So he brought in two of his guys. The two guys he brought in were Tommy Smith and Declan Wynn, who were both defenders for the New Zealand national team. And Smith was really good. He did a great job for the Rapids in all, his entire tenure. And Declan Wynn was the left left back, and he was probably a below average left back in Major League Soccer, but he sucked up all the minutes. They brought in a number of other players, and uh, most of them didn't quite click. Um, so some of the players that they had really hoped for, Nana Boateng was a cast off from Manchester City, who'd been playing with Strom Godset in the Swedish league. Uh, Johan Blomberg, also a kind of a Swedish journeyman player, uh, was 30 at the time when they brought him in. You know, a, f a few other guys like Salty uh, MLS veteran and uh, Liga MX veteran Edgar Castillo, who also played at, at left back. And um, Castillo wound up being a winger, and he generated in that year, he was kind of the point person for the entire offense, and he was expected to kind of start the attack, which is uh, interesting to bring in a, a left back in a 4-4-2 diamond and expect that he's going to do it. The primary problem with the Rapids that year was they really didn't have anybody at striker who could get the job done. Skelton Gashi was their DP from Albania. He had a fantastic year in 2016. In 2017 and 2018, he came into camp not fit, 
Nobody could motivate him successfully. He had hamstring injuries. He complained about injuries that the, the coaching staff said were not real. Um, so he wasn't, he was an expensive player who was not an offensive fulcrum. And then the strikers up top for the Rapids that year were Dominic Baji, a former fourth round super draft pick who turned out to be a pretty good striker, but uh, I don't think anybody thought at the time that he was going to be the guy to put goals in for the team. And the, the big spend for the offseason at striker was a journeyman striker who had really gotten it done in English lower league and in Europe uh, named Yannick Boley, who was an Ivorian player who previous to that, I think, had been in Russia playing for a team who I could not pronounce if you asked me to, with like seven syllables in the name, right? And somewhere in the frozen tundra of Siberia. And he scored like 15 goals in Siberia. And when they brought him in, they were like, he's the guy, he's going to be great. And I was like, he's playing in the Russian Premier League for a team that nobody's ever heard of. I don't think it's a one-to-one comparison with MLS. I believe he scored one goal, and I think it was a PK. And they paid almost a million dollars a year for him. And at the end of the year, they released him, and he wound up with a team in Thailand. So that tells you how bad the striker situation was. So to some degree, I think Rapids fans weren't really sure whether Hudson was the problem or whether the team was the problem. These were not very good soccer players. It wasn't a good enough team to win the league. And so in 2018, uh, but they had Gashi on, on, the, on the payroll and they had just paid for Yannick Boley and they had Tim Howard as their starting goalkeeper. So they had a lot of high-paid players who they couldn't really move. And so 2018 was kind of like, all right, we're figuring it out. 2019, that's the year we'll figure it out and everything will be good. And I'll let you ask another question here. I'll come up for air for a second. But <laughs> in, 20, in 2019, things didn't get better. They got worse. Yeah. Well, to kind of touch on your point there, I mean, it, it seems like... Anthony Hudson got in a little bit of trouble with some comments he made about the quality of the player pool after after a particular loss. I think it was against Atlanta United. Um, the quote I have here is he said, we are fighting at the bottom with a bottom group of players and we have to find a way to pick up results. So, I mean, it kind of what I'm hearing from you is you and fans weren't certain whether it was him or whether it was actually quality of the player pool. And it sounds like he was saying that as well tell me more about those comments and the kind of the reaction that it got you know from from the team and from people uh after that press conference right so 2018 was a year where there were a lot of players who we didn't think were getting it done so 2019 was the beginning of the team bringing on players who should be moving the needle one of them was kai kamara who was a big offseason acquisition who wound up banging in 14 goals another was diego rubio who uh, put in 11 goals that year that year eventually there were a few other picks uh andre shinyashiki was drafted first pick he wound up being uh or uh sorry maybe they he might have been he, he was the third or the fifth pick in the super draft that year denver university player um he had scored the most goals in ncaa the year before um, Pork Smith had traded up to get him and he wound up being rookie of the year. Cole Bassett was the new um, young player. And I'll tell you a Cole Bassett story in a second, because this is maybe my best uh, Anthony Hudson story and my best Cole Bassett story all in one. But 
They were starting to cycle out the players who weren't effective and cycle in players who were effective, but they could not get results. They were still losing game after game after game. Season started with a draw, a loss, and a draw, and then they really kind of uh, hit the skids. They went on a one, two, three, four, five, six-game losing streak and started the season with just two points through nine games. And they were on the road to Atlanta in the game that you mentioned. And it was a really shocking set of interviews. I remember watching it the day of, uh, the day after it it came out. Because, you know, the Rapids, this is the interesting part of this interview. And this is a little behind the scenes because I was surprised as a media guy for how it came down. And pardon me if this is, again, a little more detail than your listeners want to hear. But this, only your listeners are going to know this. I don't think I've said this in in a long time, which is, you know, there's no, there's, this is Major League Soccer. There's no road media following the Rapids around from an independent perspective, right? There's nobody interviewing the players after the game. It's just the team flax. It's the team's internal comms department. And maybe one reporter for the opposing team. But mostly, it's like the media is friendly. And it's internal. So the game ended. And I don't recall if it was independent Atlanta media or one of the Rapids' own comms department people who asked a completely innocuous question like, you know, the team seems to have been struggling the last couple games, parenthesis, you haven't won a single game yet this season, and we're almost a third of the way through the year. What do you think's going wrong with the team? And in the broader quote that included the phrase, we're fighting at the bottom with a bottom group of players, Anthony Hudson basically said, I haven't been given the players that would allow me to succeed. I don't have what I need to win games. Things are not going well because I was never supported adequately by the front office. And we're fighting at the bottom with the bottom group of players. Now, the interesting thing about that quote to me was after the team lost in Atlanta and after the team had failed to win all that year and after the team had had a really bad year in 2018, I have always wondered, and I don't know if I'll ever get a satisfactory answer to this, I have always wondered whether Anthony Hudson didn't walk into that interview basically saying, I have a meeting in the office in Commerce City on Monday, and I am going to be fired. So YOLO, it does not matter what I say here. Let me (laughs) say what I really think, and let me indemnify myself and protect myself for my next job, which is to say... It's not me, man. It's it's the general manager who hired a bunch of ne'er-do-wells and no goodniks to be my team. And I can't get, you know, champagne production on a beer budget. And that's that. So then he went into that meeting and said, I'm getting fired anyways. I might as well throw the entire team under the bus on the way out. And they had training, I think, on Tuesday morning was their next training. And I got, actually, this was my only real scoop in my entire writing career. I got a text message from a guy who happened to work for the media company that, um, the the cable company that produces the Rapids. And he texted me and he said, the Rapids have just fired Anthony Hudson. And I got that text message and I tweeted it out. And I was the first on the scene. And what I later found out, which was crazy, was he had texted me from the office. And the office at DSGP, uh, Dick Sporting Goods Park, is a walk from where the training field is. And the walk takes about 10 minutes to get to. And the players were warming up on the field. And the manager had just been fired. 
and was just about to be like they were about to walk out to the training field to let the players know the assistant coaches will run training today because Hudson's been fired. And players got text messages and looked on their Twitter and said, apparently our coach has been fired. And they knew that because I tweeted it out before they had been told, <laughs> which talk about a scoop. That was, I don't know if that's true, by the way, that's a, that's a, that's a story that was told to me, but, but I, I believe it cause it's a fun one. So mm-hmm. that is the end of the Anthony Hudson era. Okay. So you mentioned to me earlier that you wanted to tell your, your favorite Anthony Hudson story. I forget the player that you mentioned. Uh, let's, let's hear that one. Yeah. So, and this is, I think in the category, I'll take two, two quick Anthony Hudson stories to humanize the man and to give him a break because I am not a hater, right? I think a lot of Rapids fans just, they, he's like a cartoon villain. Like he's twisting his mustache to ruin American soccer or something like that. Uh, I don't feel that way. I remember it was either the end of 2018 or the beginning of 2019. And I was out on the field me and Matt were the were getting an interview, uh, regular media availability with the general manager. And I just, you know, I'm a very human person. I'm a rabbi in my real job first, and I am a soccer writer second. And so I said, Coach, I'm just going to warn you, some of the questions are going to be hard. And he just looked at us really politely. He said, I totally understand. I know you're just doing your job. Fire away. Don't worry about it. And that was great because, to be honest, I've seen other coaches who do not respond that well. They walk into situations like that and they're and they're not as. So a couple weeks before that, I think it was probably like mid March, you know, and he got fired right after that Atlanta game, which would have been those were in April. So I think it was in mid March. So it would have been around the FC Dallas game. The team was training at home, and they do a thing sometimes where they train in the in the stadium on on the grass. They don't do it too often because they don't want to beat up the grass. And they were training inside the stadium and the players get to pick the the music on the, the thing. I'm actually starting to think, now that I think about it, it might have been in September of the previous year. But anyways, in 2018. But anyways, we're all, the, the media have been asked to kind of like stand over by the hoardings on the side and, you know, work the photographers and and watch training. And, and you know, we'll do our post-game talks with interviews with players afterwards. And, you know, you never bother coaches during training and coaches generally don't talk to reporters during training. They're just focused and they they don't want to be bothered. And Hudson sauntered over during the training. And one of the things that all MLS teams do, particularly the Rapids, is they bring in their academy players to train with the first team. And usually the Rapids senior team has like four or five or six academy kids on the field. And I'm always paying attention to the academy kids. I'm really trying to figure out who's who's got potential. You know, who can I report on early that nobody else will know about? And I've been, you know, kind of like watching these guys. and and But, you know, I don't know from which of these six guys is any good. And Hudson just walks over casually and is noting the players kind of warming up and training and doing drills. And he points at one kid. He's a skinny, brown-haired midfielder. And he goes, watch that one, Cole Bassett. He's going to do things. I'm really high on this kid. And he walked away. Um, And it was, you know, a coach has never said that to me before in any other circumstances. And Bassett had never had, had not had an MLS minute at that point, um, I believe. And he wound up getting into a game at the end of 2018. And the Rapids started to use him a little bit in, I think, uh, 2019. Bassett eventually wound up becoming a starting midfielder for the team in... 
2020. In 2021, he was sold to a team in Holland, uh, and then he was sold to Ajax, I think. Mm. My memory is not super great right now. Um, and then he was loaned out uh, a couple times to other teams where he didn't ultimately get used, and then he got loaned back. He's on loan right now back to the Colorado Rapids, but it, the the assumption is he's going to be kind of like returned to the Rapids. His European adventure was not successful. But the point is uh, he, he has turned out to have had a really great career, and you know he was doing some really good things. And Anthony Hudson picked him out at the age of 17 and said, he's going places. I want to correct myself. It's not Ajax, it's Feyenoord. Um, and he was loaned out to a team called Fortuna Sittard, where he got all of 198 minutes and two starts. So that's why he's back in MLS. Uh, he's back with the, the Rapids. We'll see if, if he can kind of bounce back and restart his career. But, you know, picking out an academy kid from when you've got six or eight different academy kids every week and saying, that guy's good is something notable. And that is probably, by the way, the reason that he wound up getting put onto Greg Berhalter's USMNT staff as an assistant coach, which is what he's been doing for the last couple of years, which is his ability to watch tape, identify a player, and then bring him in is very good. I mean, I think he, a lot of the players he helped the team bring in in 2019 were good additions, but I don't think tactically or in terms of man management, he was very successful at building the team in a way that produced successful results. Okay. So good at identifying talent, good at developing young talent, but maybe not the best tactically on game day is, is what I'm hearing. I think so. I think yeah. that that's probably the knock. Um, and I think, I think the other thing that was interesting was and I've noticed this with a lot of coaches. It's not. It's it's really a difficult talent. And having coached both soccer and basketball in my career, I get why it's difficult. In-game adjustment is really really difficult for most coaches. It's a it's a level of chess playing that only the great masters in MLS do. Like Bob Bradley is going to mess with your head. You know, just at the time you figure out how to adjust to whatever his team is doing on the field, he'll change it up so that you. He wrecks you completely right in the next moment. Siggy Schmidt is good at that. Jim Curtin is good at that. Bruce Arena is good at that. There are other managers in MLS who never could do that and, and are not really, they, they cannot adjust. Kurt Anolfo is a great example of that. Um, shoot, the guy from uh, Red Bulls who who, uh, who then went to RSL and, and didn't turn out uh, super good. Lots of guys like that who, they, you know, the, they approach the game a certain way. They play the game a certain way, and if if it, they don't get results, they can't adjust. That's a challenge with Anthony Hudson. Mid-game adjustments didn't happen too often. I want to talk a little bit more about Hudson's coaching style, and we've talked. We've talked. You you kind of explained to me how we like to do things on the field, some of his strategies there. What about him in the locker room and his relationship with players? How would you describe that? How did he like to manage the team? What were your what were your takeaways there? I didn't see any real problems there or any there's there's nothing to be critical of that, I think, except for of course the ignominious end when he said something, you know, mm -hmm. that probably he shouldn't have said, and I don't know why he said it. But that is I think most I remember asking Tim Howard right after the firing, you know, what was the mood in the locker room and how did the players feel? And Tim 
how you know we're talking about Tim Howard, so we're talking about a guy who's been at the highest levels of soccer and who knows how things go down. And he was very um, politique about the whole matter. He very much understood that the players got to do their best for the manager, but you can't change all the players midseason. You can change the manager, and so he kind of saw it as the unfortunate reality but that's that's part of the way it is i did not ever speak to a player who said anything really ugly about hudson i think hudson also gave players who were kind of supposed to were going to be unlikely heroes opportunity in the league uh, my, my favorite uh, example of that is a player who i liked a lot who didn't quite pan out as they had hoped in 2018 the rapids gave 15 starts to a USL journeyman named Enzo Martinez, who I thought was a wonderful, plucky little number eight, number 10 kind of guy. His only problem was he he just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. He was maybe one step slower than he needed to be and, and one step sloppier than he needed to be to be at that MLS level. But he was an excellent midfielder and is still a, an excellent midfielder in USL. He had a really long career with Charlotte Independence last year. I think he was with Birmingham. But anyways, the fact that Hudson gave him a chance and played him as much as he did and got a lot out of him, you know, got got him to, to kind of be a, a functional player is a testament to his belief in finding value wherever he is. The other thing is Hudson's year was the first year of Jack Price. And Jack Price is still with the Colorado Rapids to this day. He's the captain of the team. And I think that that, that both bringing him in and using him effectively demonstrates that he understands that when you have a really talented player, what you want to do is um, center your philosophy around that player uh, and use things that that way. I, I think we were still trying to figure out that year how to use Jack Price and then how to play around him. The other thing was the team was still coming out of the old days where the defensive midfielders were the, the key to the team. And it was unclear in 2018 who Hudson wanted to be the, the fulcrum of the team. Who was the focal point? That first year it was the left back. The next year it was nobody, you know, and they, so they couldn't, they didn't know how to build. And that might've been because they didn't have the right guys, but they also, the ultimate problem that second year was that the only guy who could bang in the goal was Kai Kamara. And Kai Kamara is a rise up target striker guy. And it's a pretty, there's a pretty simple way of approaching a game when you've got a really big target striker in the box, which is run it down the wings and bend in across. And, you know, that's really boring. And, <laughs> and on top of that, it tends to leave you open on the counterattack. And that was a thing that happened a lot in 2019 is the Rapids would go down the wings, bend in a ball, you know, and then get just absolutely murdered on the counter. And that'd be that. The other thing was under last thing I'll say is this, and, and this is uh, interesting and tactical in nature under Pablo Mastroeni, the idea of kind of modern football. And one of the ideas of modern football being you create width and you create attacking and overlaps with your fullbacks. Under Pablo Mastroeni, they did not do that. The fullbacks stayed back more under Mastroeni than probably any other team in Major League Soccer. So what Hudson did was, hey, let's use our fullbacks. Let's go to a 3-5-2, use wingbacks, right? And I remember writing a couple times that the number of times the Rapids would go up the wings with their wingbacks, get forward, get into the attack, 
turn over the ball in a really bad spot and then get absolutely exploited on the counterattack was so many times. I could not begin to count the number of times that they got destroyed and pulled apart on the counterattack. But, to, to be fair, Hudson was the guy who understood that we need to play a modern system. We need to play with uh, attacking fullbacks. And I think now, if, if you now that he's probably experienced it and learned how to do it with a team, he probably would be better at creating width from the fullback position without exposing himself on the counterattack. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. For people who are interested in learning more about you, seeing more of your work, where can they find you? So I live in Pittsburgh and I write on USL and high school soccer and uh, ACC uh, soccer here in Pittsburgh. I write for a website called Pittsburgh Soccer Now. And then our podcasts and Substack are with Holding the Highline. So that's holdingthehighline.substack.com. You can hit us up at Holding the Highline. That is a triple entendre, by the way, because, of course, Colorado is 5280 feet up. Denver is, anyways. And additionally, a high line is a soccer term. And finally, Colorado is, of course, the first state to legalize recreational marijuana. So we're really clever, aren't that's we? Bril- that's brilliant. I know. I'm brilliant. <laughs> aren't, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so that's our podcast. It's worth a listen, especially if you are an MLS fan and the Colorado Rapids are coming to your town and you'd like a scouting report in advance. We always bring on podcasters, writers, and pundits from local podcast to kind of bring it in. So it's a, it's a, it's a good time and it's a, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, you can check out all my work there. And if you're a multimillionaire and you'd like to, uh, become a, uh, patron or an advertiser, we're always looking for, uh, you know, someone who can help, uh, finish my basement down here in Pittsburgh. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Frank. Thank you to Mark Asher Goodman for joining the show. And thanks to all of you for listening to Here and Abroad. I'm Frank Garza, and we'll be back in a few weeks with a new episode.